is the last study in the book of Luke. Next week, we start a brand new study in the book of Galatians. But these are Jesus' final words. But by the way, if you want to buy some coffee to support Calvary La Esperanza, if you love coffee, you better get in there quick because there's only like 20 bags in there. We're going to try and get more, but there's suggested donation. Suggested means actually that's what we're asking, so it's not like, oh, I think I'll give 20 cents instead. No, we, all of the money goes, all the money is going to go back to Guatemala. So if you want some coffee, dark roast, grown right there, and it's all from poor farmers. We're actually supporting the poor farmers as well as the church there. So if you want to check that out, it's in the bookstore. If you've never been to the bookstore, we finally have a reason for you to go check it out. And it's coffee, not books. How, how about that? But with these parting words of Jesus, Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. Anyone need a Bible? All right. It should be marked. If anyone, they should already be marked with Luke 24. And we'll be starting, if they're not, have some grace for the ushers if they didn't mark it, but uh, we'll be starting with verse 27. We finished verse 27 before I went out of town, but we'll pick it back up with verse 27 uh, because that's kind of a bridge verse that I want us to, to see as we go through the text. But as I mentioned what Pastor Greg said, vast majority of people that share their faith two years or less Thankfully, that's not everybody. There's that 20% that changed that. I would love in this church for that statistic not to be in any way representative of us. I've been saved now 21 years. I don't know how long you've been saved, but I hope that we are still sharing our faith. We still have a passion to see people come to know the Lord, but we still have a passion to know Jesus more. I believe that's why you're here this morning, right? You want to know God more. You want to grow in your love for Christ. But part of our growing our love for Christ is to grow in our love for other people. And these parting words of Jesus is what he wants us to hear here, I think, is, is those things that we need to meditate on, that we need to revisit in our life. Even though this is the last study in the book of Luke, I hope you'll go back into this passage the next couple weeks and just revisit what is it that Jesus you know, the last things you say to someone before you leave, before you give that big hug, usually are important stuff. It's really what the last things you say when you're leaving someone you really love is from where? The heart, right? Because you don't have a lot of time to, to, to write a novel at that point. It's just what's on the heart. So let's pick it up. Verse 27. I'll be reading verse 27 through 35. Um, Actually, I'll read verse 36 as well, even though that's the next section, but you'll see why in a second. Starting verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And they went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be to you. Let's pray. Father, we just open your word now. What a privilege it is to have it sitting in front of us. What a privilege it is, Lord, to have this time. You've given us off work today or uh, cleared our schedules and you've allowed us, Lord, to sit at your feet. These people here and myself, we're not hearing from me. Lord, we're hearing from you. These are your words. These are your parting words to all of us. And Lord, we pray that our eyes would be opened. And as you break the bread of your word in our midst, that you would feed us. And if we hear directly from you. Lord, not only would we hear from you, 
but it would sink, as you said, sink down deep in our hearts. Lord, we receive, take hold, and move forward by faith with the things you've given us. Lord, I pray that in this room right now, your peace would flow. You said peace be to you, Lord, right now, Lord, just let your peace be in every heart. Anyone's troubled, Lord, may they sense your peace right now, Lord, but at the same time, Lord, we want to see you move and your power. We ask, Lord, you bless this study. Anointed by your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let me set the stage for you. So if you're coming in new and you haven't been here before, you, you know, what, what, is, what is going on? Where is this at in the timeline? So this is the very end of Jesus's earthly life. He's just risen from the dead. Literally, that same day, he's just risen from the dead. This is the first day of the week. He's just risen from the dead. He's only going to be on the earth the next 40 days. And so here he is risen from the dead, but he hasn't appeared to the vast majority of his disciples yet. A couple of the women have seen him, and both think he's still dead. And as we, if you were with our study previously, these two men on the road to Emmaus, they were walking away from Jerusalem, and they were down. They were heartbroken. They were depressed. They were disillusioned. How would you be if you had followed Jesus and you saw him die on a cross and you thought, he's gone? We thought he, was, we thought he was sent from God. We thought he had the power over sin and death, but he's gone. So they think he is dead. And Jesus slides up beside them and starts to talk to them. This was back in our previous study. He says back in verse 17, you don't have to turn there, it's, you can look down if you want, but he says, what kind of conversation is this you're having with one another? He knew, of course, what they were talking about. They were commiserating about the fact that our master's gone. What do we do now? Our lives are a wreck. Do we go back to our old jobs? Do we return to uh, you know, our family? I don't know what their conversation was, but they were very down and depressed and sad and, and frightened. And you know, what's going to happen to the rest of us? Will Rome round the rest of us up? I mean, who knows what they're thinking but Jesus comes up to him and you know, he said, you know, well, you didn't know about, um, are you the only one in Jerusalem doesn't know what just happened? They said it to Jesus. Are you the only one that doesn't have any clue what happened? You know, what things? He said, what, what, what are you talking about? They start to tell him. Well, all the time, then he starts to explain to them that these things had to happen. And then he takes them from, it says, beginning at Moses... Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He starts with the Pentateuch and goes to the entire Old Testament expounding what may have been the greatest Bible study the world has ever seen. Can you imagine Jesus taking you from Genesis to Malachi? He didn't need a whiteboard, no slides. Didn't need any kind of backdrop. He's just walking on the road, explaining to them. And, you know, what about this? And, you know, remember Isaac? Yeah, that was about me. Laid him down on the altar. All these kind of things. He starts explaining the Old Testament. Now, we don't know how much of this Bible study is supernatural in, in one sense. Now, aside from the fact that Jesus has just risen from the dead, which is the greatest supernatural feet the world has ever seen. Jesus just rises out of the grave. So he's just risen from the grave that same day. But there's at least a couple of other supernatural things that take place here, which may shed some light that the Bible study itself may have been supernatural. Take, for example, their eyes were restrained. Jesus restrained their eyes from even them being able to tell it was him. For a period of time, he just did not allow them. He wanted them just to receive the teaching but he didn't want them to know it was him, at least for a time. Why exactly? I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Then, um, he also appears in the room, verse 36, out of nowhere. When these guys get back to Jerusalem and they join up with everybody else, he just appears out of nowhere. That's supernatural. He just appears in their midst. 
How much he covers of the Old Testament in this amount of time, we don't know. Uh, it says he expounded them all the scriptures concerning himself, but that can be just portions of the scriptures, or literally, he could do something supernatural, and in a moment of time, Jesus could teach the entire Bible. Don't know. Now, remember, this is not the, the entire Bible that we have. There was no New Testament at this point. There's only Genesis through Malachi. So he's not teaching any of the New Testament, but he's teaching all of what we would call the Tanakh uh, or the Old Testament. But if you're taking notes, what we want to look at today is Jesus gives these final parting words, and these men are on the leading edge of what he's about to say to the rest of the disciples when he gathers to them in Jerusalem. And what I want us to, to take away today is what is it that he spoke to them that opened their eyes, that encouraged them, that strengthened them, that he still wants you and I to receive today. Do you think that what he gave them he still wants us to receive now? Absolutely. That's why it's in the scriptures. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we want to look at this morning is he's still revealing, if you're taking notes. He's still revealing. These first uh, verses that we read, verses 27 through, uh, through 36... It reminds me of Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says in that text, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. I read that again, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. What does that mean? Well, God knows everything, but he, what he gives us, he actually wants us to know as well. By the way, he will not tell us every single thing he knows. That would mean we are God. It was Adam and Eve's problem. They kind of thought, well, could we actually, Satan lied. And said, you can know everything God, no, you can't know everything God knows. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But yet he gives us a whole lot of revelation that he does want us to know. And that's what the scriptures, the entire Bible, God's love letter to humanity. But he has these things that he wants to reveal to the church because they're going to need his revelation to move out, to go out, because he's going to give them the Great Commission. And the thing that, as we look at this revelation that he displays for these uh, two men on the road to Emmaus, I have eight things that I observe from just this little section that I want to run through with you if you're taking notes. You say, is there really eight things? Yeah, just follow along with me. Eight things that we can learn just in this still revealing stage. Look at verse 27. Beginning at Moses, all the prophets, he expounded them all the scriptures, all things concerning himself. The first thing, if you're taking notes, God wants us to read from, to learn from, and to have our eyes opened by the whole counsel of God. That makes sense? God wants us to read from, learn from, and have our eyes open to the whole counsel of God. One of the reasons that I fell in love with Calvary, I got saved at a Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, 1995. But the fact that Calvary Chapel believed, Pastor Chuck years ago believed that it was, God had showed him that he should really teach through the whole Bible. That people should not spend their entire life knowing just a handful of verses in the New Testament. That the whole counsel of God is necessary, not for salvation, but for growth. You don't need the whole Bible to get saved. You can get saved off one verse, one word. But once you get saved, God wants to take us through it all, through the scriptures. Whatever amount of time you have on this earth, because it will be different for different people. The thief on the cross, he didn't get to go through the whole Bible, but he did get to go to heaven. But while we're alive, God wants to take us. These men, one of the first things, you know, you got to remember, Jesus took them through the whole Bible the very first day he rose from the grave. That's significant, isn't it? I think he's setting a stage for future pastors and leaders. The very first thing he did is take two men through the whole Bible. He was teaching discipleship through the Word. Just like they read to Emmaus, you know, we can come to salvation through any means that God uses, any verse. But once we've come to Christ, I have no doubt that he wants to expound us all the scriptures. The second thing, look at verse 28 and 29. 
The second thing, <clears throat> as they drew near the village where they were going, he indicated he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us. They fell in love with what they were hearing, didn't they? They didn't want it to end. Abide with us. The second thing, if you're taking notes, the more we marinate in the scriptures, the more we hear from the word of God, the more we'll want to abide with Jesus. They begged him to stay. First, they didn't know who he was. They still didn't know who he was. Now, when you're dealing with Jesus and you don't know it's Jesus, you still will fall in love because there's no one like him. There's no one as compassionate. There's no one as wide. There's no one as loving. So even though their eyes were restrained, their hearts were still feeling the presence of God. They just didn't know that it was actually the living Christ. But the more, number two, if you're going to take notes, the more we marinate the scriptures, the more we hear from the word of God, the more we want to abide in Jesus. I've been saved for 21 years, as I mentioned. I grow to love Jesus more only as I'm in his word and prayer. Otherwise, there's no way for me, because I would have said, well, I've already, you'll actually find Christians sometimes, yeah, I've already learned all that stuff. Really? You mean when you stand before Jesus, you're going to be able to tell him, I've already learned all that stuff? He's like, you've learned a thimble. If that, right? The Bible says everything we can see is the mere edges of his ways. So we've all got a lot of growing to do. But the more we abide, the more we'll, or more in the word, the more we'll want to abide with Jesus. Number three, in this still revealing here. Look at verse 30. Now as it came to pass, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, broke it, uh, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, He's their guest, and he starts serving out the bread. When we're in the Word, Jesus will personally feed us. Personally. It's a one-on-one. He will personally hand you and I a piece of his bread, which is his life, which is found in his Word. Isn't that great? You invite him over, he'll be serving you. Because he has living bread to give. We only have baked bread to give. When we're in the word, Jesus will personally feed us. Number four, it's in verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then we see the supernatural here as well. He vanishes from their sight. This is what I didn't mention. All of a sudden, poof, where'd he go? He had done what he was there to do to them, which was reveal to them the power of the word, the necessity of the word, the thirst and hunger for the word. But then all of a sudden, he vanishes. But before he does, their eyes were open and they knew him. Number four, here in verse 31, if you're taking notes, new revelation and understanding will come when you spend time with Jesus. New revelation and understanding It won't be that you will find something that no one else has ever found. It will be new to you. Saints before you will have already found these things. But new revelation, new understanding, a new nuance, something that personally challenges you more, opens your eyes and say, wow, I didn't see that flaw in my life. I didn't see that uh, piece of um, lumber that was in my own eye. Or just, wow, I didn't see that God loved me that much. Or that God cares that much. Our eyes will be opened. New revelation. You and I can be in fellowship with Jesus for years and years. And then on one day, in one moment, in one verse, he can reveal something as if we had never heard it before. You ever been there? Like, wow, I think I've read this verse a few times. Or, wow... I know I've read the entire book of Jeremiah and I've never seen this verse. Did I miss it all these other times? Right? No, it was always there. Uh, Sometimes God restrains our eyes from our own Bible study because he knows you're actually going to need that verse in five years, so I let you breeze right past it the last five years. I've felt that. Where I just move past a verse and then later when I need it, I'm like, where has this verse been all my life? New revelation, it'll open our eyes. So that's because we have a living relationship with him. It's not a dead relationship. It's a living relationship. On our end, we have limitations. 
On his end, he has no limitations, so he can always keep expanding wisdom, comfort, peace, knowledge. Let's look at the next one. Number five. I have a little more list than normal, but I, I, there's a lot of meat here. I want to make sure that as you read, go over some of this stuff, it really blesses you and really allows you to appreciate these last words of Jesus, that they really were not a bunch of marching orders, but they were also comfort, peace. That's why he, that's the first words he says is, peace be to you. First things he says when he appears to the whole group. Number five, look at verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while we talked with us? We, we kind of sensed that the fire of God was burning our hearts because they were talking to God. But he had restrained their eyes. Number five, you're taking notes. The word of God and the presence of his spirit touches our hearts. The word of God and the presence of his spirit touches our hearts. We can, it's true, we can hear something, maybe a teaching, maybe something uh, written by another believer, maybe in a, a, a good Christian book, certainly while we're reading the scriptures, and suddenly our heart begins to melt or to burn or to say, wow, that, boy, boy did I need to hear that, right? Or I'd never heard it that way. Our heart will begin to soften. Sometimes that at first can feel uncomfortable, right? I didn't really want to hear that. The old time preacher said, stepping on toes, right? That kind of thing. Sometimes you didn't want to feel a certain way, but the Spirit gives it anyway because it begins to what? Soften us. Open our eyes. Our, you know, our eyes are always getting cloudy with our own ways or the world or just kind of the dustiness of this world. Our own resistant spirit and the Holy Spirit uses a word, either from the word or sent by God in some other means, through somebody, through a book, and it begins to melt what's holding us back. Because there's always things holding us back. Isn't it great, though, there's nothing holding God back? You, everyone in this room is held back to a certain degree by something in their life. Everyone here. Something. God's never held back. But he actually wants to cut all those strings. And he softens our hearts. Let's look at the next one in verse 33, number 6. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Taking notes, the word of God brings action and response. They rose up that very hour. They could not sit still once God had stirred their hearts. Once God stirs your heart, you will not be able to do nothing. You're going to be a something doer. The fancy phrase I just came up with. Paul said he didn't come with eloquence of speech. So, you know, he just, and he could speak multiple languages and everything else. So he shelved it. Sometimes I don't do that on purpose. It just comes out bad. But anyway, we won't want to keep the truth to ourselves. Amen? They had to go back in Jerusalem and tell someone what happened. This is why new believers under the two-year mark, and I would say, in my experience, people at least under the four or five, they feel like they have to tell everybody, like, here's what they think. They think that what's happened to them is the most important thing in the world. And guess what? It is. After a while, Satan tries to t tell every Christian, that stuff's not as... Someone else will take care of that. It, they got pastors for that kind of stuff. They got Sunday school teachers for that. No, they had to run and tell... They had to take action. They were motivated to go and share with someone. Look at the uh, second half of verse 33, taking notes number seven. And they found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together. The word of God, if you're taking notes, number seven here. The word of God, the ministry of Jesus, brings unity to the body of Christ. They got together. They want to go share, but they also got together. The word of God and the ministry of Jesus brings unity and brings the body of Christ together. And the last one, number 8, in verse 34. And this is what they all rejoice together. The Lord, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now these the others telling them, 
So they, the two men on Emmaus, they found out through this amazing experience that Jesus was alive, they run and tell the others. Guess what? The others had already found out that Jesus was alive because he had appeared to Peter. So both sides were saying the same thing. We found out Jesus is alive. We did too. Let's all gather together and rejoice together. Number eight, verse 34. The truth that God is revealing to us personally and collectively, he is also revealing to others in the rest of the world and the body of Christ. This is why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.20, of course, he's cited here, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is any private interpretation. If you hear a wacko doctrine that only one guy in some other state or country is the only one preaching, you can better believe it's not from God. Because whatever God reveals to us, he's revealing to our brothers and sisters in India, in Brazil, in Africa, in Russia, He's revealing the same thing. Now, we might worship a little different. We might have a little different cultural context and all that good stuff, but he will not reveal a different anything. They were over here. They found out Jesus is risen. They were in Jerusalem. They found out Jesus is risen. They come together. They both had received the same spirit of revelation. Let's look at the next few verses as we move on. Starting verse 36 now as, they said, uh, now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. And they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. Verse 38, And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy... Wow, you never see joy get in the way of things, right? But, uh, and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. What do we see in this, taking notes? I call this part of the text still assuring. Don't we always need more assurance than we think we need? I mean, I have kids, and you, you know, I remember my, uh, my girls had a piano recital coming up, and they're all nervous about it, and how many times we have to assure, you're going to do great. You're going to do great. I hope they do great. You're going to do great, you know, right? We need assuring. We need Jesus to tell us, you're going to be fine. I've got your back. We need assuring. Even when you've been doing this a long time, you still need assuring. First thing we look at, and it's still assuring, he, first things he said, as I mentioned, when he gets the whole group together, peace to you. If you're taking notes, only four things on this text, only four. Number one, verse 36, Jesus is still the only source of peace, real peace. Any other kind of peace? Yeah, you can take a drug and be out of it for a while, but you're going to come up eventually, and the peace will be gone again. He's the only one that can calm our spirit and our minds. Right? He causes us to lie down. He leads us beside still waters. My peace I give you, he said, not as the world gives, because the world can't give real peace. It gives a fake. It gives a fraudulent kind of peace. He gives the real thing. It's way down deep in our spirit. But they didn't have peace at this moment, but he's coming to give them peace. They needed peace. But if you're taking notes, Jesus is still the only source of real peace. They still were frightened, even though he's in their midst. You ever still been unsettled even when you know Jesus is in your heart? I have, plenty of times. You've got to wrestle with that. And I love what he says, verse 38, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Why do doubts arise in our hearts? Why are we troubled by things? Because we see the waves all around us. We see the uncertainties of life. We see the doctor report. We see the news. We were out of town. We didn't even know about the Orlando shooting until 24 hours after it happened. We were down in Guatemala. We see floods. We see all these things. We see, you know, the doctor says, you know, your cholesterol's up or whatever it may be. We see all these things. We get in trouble. He says, look, you've got to put your trust in me. 
And what does he show them that's the peace provider? If you're taking notes, number two in verse 39. Behold my hands and feet. This is the follow-up to peace be still. Behold my hands and feet. Number two, if you're taking notes, everything we need starts with his death and resurrection. Let me say that again. Everything we need starts with his death and resurrection. He did not say, peace be still. Why are you still troubled? Let me give you a 50-point outline. He says, look here and look at my feet. You see these nail pierced? I hold the whole world in my hand, even death. What a powerful statement. Any darkness, any fear, any doubts, he says, I've got it all in these hands, in these nail-pierced hands. They hold the whole world in his hands. Everything we need. The knowledge that he has conquered the impossible should strengthen our faith in every area of life. I don't know. We, we, don't, we don't meditate on it. We can't comprehend how much bigger a victory Jesus is over death over all the victories anyone has ever seen of all time combined. No one's ever done it. Muhammad never walked out of the grave. Right? He's still there. No world leader ever just walked back out of the grave. But Jesus did exactly the way he said. He says, because of what I've done, you can have peace. Brother and sister, you can have peace. Look at the next one, verse 39 and 40. Behold my hands and feet. It is I. Handle me and see. For spirit does not have fresh flesh and blood. And when he said this, he showed them his hands. He said, handle me and see. You're taking notes. Verse uh, 39 and 40 there, number three. Jesus deals with us individually and gently. Individually. He says, hey, take a look. Touch it. It wasn't just Thomas, by the way. He gets the bad rap. as the only one doubting. He really wasn't. Collectively. That's why he said to each of them, touch and see. He deals with us personally and gently, individually and gently. He comes to us personally. He makes time for us, and he's willing to remove our doubts. Isn't that great to know? He knows we have doubts, but he's willing to remove those doubts. Let's look at the last one in verse 41 through 43. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, do you have any food here? Only Jesus, he's the master teacher can take a moment and say, hey, anyone have any food? And he's not hungry, so who is this for? Them. He doesn't get hungry in a glorified state. This is for them, not for him. He's not like, man, I could really go for some broiled fish right now. <laughs> Only there was some honeycomb in this place. And if he really was hungry, my guess he might have had a Better thing in mind than broiled fish. For those of you who love broiled fish, maybe you would say, no, that's the perfect thing. The honeycomb doesn't sound bad. But uh, now, taking notes number four, he asked them for food. And what I have here is he helps us move forward. I'll get to why I, I say that. He helps us move forward. We get stuck in places, don't we? They, they had... They've been stuck since his death. They still were at a step. You know, what, what's going on here? What do we believe? What do we do next? Take something very normal. Having food here helps us move forward if you're taking notes. First of all, Jesus eats to confirm. Let's understand he does more than one thing. As everything Jesus does, he's doing multiple things at once. He's usually doing many things in a single action. But first of all, Jesus eats to confirm that his risen body has been perfected, and yet he says he's not a spirit. Remember he said, touch me, flesh and blood. He's been perfected. He has flesh and bone, but rather than a blood-sustained body, he now has a spirit-sustained body. And yet he still has bone, he still has skin, but the blood, that was left at the cross. It's now, a, we, I believe, in heaven, we will have spirit-filled bodies. The blood will still have the flesh, 
of our bodies, but the blood will not be necessary. Right now, we have to, blood is pumped through our hearts to give life, but it will be the Spirit that will give life. It won't be the blood anymore. The blood was left at the cross. It was shed there. But he still has a body, and he's letting them know that in the glorified body, you'll be able to eat. That's why we'll be able to partake in the marriage supper of the Lamb someday. We will be able to eat, but we will not have the limitations of a blood-infused body of a spirit-infused body, and yet we'll still have a flesh, but we'll have these supernatural capabilities that Jesus has where he's just, the body can do things that the body can't just appear somewhere, go through a wall, whatever it may be. So he first is letting them understand the resurrected body, which they would not really get at that point, but most surely later as they would think about what they had seen. But beyond that, He's also doing something else to help him move forward. When our doubts are removed, when our fears are relieved, when we have victory in Jesus, when we see the direction we're headed both now and eternity, it helps us to take steps forward, doesn't it? When the doubts are removed, we feel like we can take another step forward. Oh, I get it now. He really is back. He really is in control. This is what Jesus does in our life. He asked them for food. And he asked them to serve him the food. Does anyone have the food? They have to go and get it. They have to go put it on a plate or hand it to him. They have to serve him. He's already getting them to start taking some action. Hey, who's got food? Your whole life you're going to be serving me the rest of your life. Go ahead and get started. Go find some fish. Go find something in the house. They have to start to serve him. He shows them who he is and that they can trust him for what they need. They needed to see his resurrected body, but they also needed to see they needed to get back to living life. And that'll bring call serving. Jesus always leads us forward in life. He always leads us to our calling and to our ministry. And they're all being called to serve. They're all going to have to be givers the rest of their life. They're going to have to give other people food too, not just him. They're going to have to give people that need something to eat. They're going to have to... He's already given them to exercise the muscle of giving out. Right out of the gate. But you know, when you start serving, your fears will go away. Your doubts will go away. You'll become others-focused more than self-focused. Now, we don't have glorified bodies yet, but he's already done a miracle in us, hasn't he? Of salvation. And what we see here, it assures us of heaven, but also assures us that we've been saved for a reason. We've been saved for such a time as this. They had been saved for such a time as that. Jesus didn't save them and say, now you're going to stay in Jerusalem and just hang out here forever. No, you guys are going to have to get up, and now I've got stuff for you to do. You're going to need physical strength. Why else did Jesus eat? He didn't need to eat. He didn't need the strength, but we do need to eat, don't we? Some of you are thinking about it right now. <laughs> thinking you're hoping I'm done in the next 15 minutes so you can get on to that piece of the day. We'll get there. We're, we're not far now. But he didn't need to eat, but we do need to eat, and we need to drink, and we need to get some sleep. Why? For physical strength. We need it to serve tomorrow and to serve Wednesday and next week until he returns. We're going to have to keep going through this pattern of eating, drinking, sleeping, serving. We're going to need it just as we need the word and prayer for spiritual strength. We'll need our physiological needs met for stamina and strength in life. And so he eats for their faith and, for, and foremost for them just to be an example to them and encourage them to say, hey, it's me. You'll have this body someday, but until you do, you're going to need to eat. You're going to need to serve. It's time to get up out of these fears and start moving. They'll still have to cook. They'll still have to take in nutrients. They'll still have to take the time to break bread together. Remember he did that with the two? He broke bread with them, teaching them that they'll have to have meals together. That's where relationships are built. But it's all for a reason. It's not to eat, drink, and be merry as the Epicureans thought, or as Israel kind of followed in the pagan nation that they would eat, drink, party. That's not for us. No. We're to be assured by the Lord and strengthened by the Lord for service. For service. And what kind of service? Well, we'll look at that in the next verses here, starting verse 44. He's still sending. They needed to be strengthened for what? 
to be sent. Look at verse 44, and he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses concerning the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. He's still talking about the resurrection to them, by the way. And that repentance and remission to sin must be or should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Under still sending here. The Father, he sent the Son, right? God sent the Son. Jesus came and he completed the rescue mission exactly as he said he would do, and only he could fulfill it. Then Jesus, when the Son came, he then sends out his apostles with a very specific message and a very specific mission. And he promised them, right here we just read it, he promised them he'd give them the help and the power to finish the task. Jesus is faithful to do it. Did you know that the apostles finished their task? Praise the Lord, we're all here reading what they did. Not because they were any more special than you and I. Because Jesus said, because I finished my work, I'll help you finish your work. And all of them that were genuine would go on to do exactly what Jesus said. Yeah, they'd have some bump and bruises, but they would actually do what he said. And according to Acts 17, 6, they were known as turning the world upside down. Isn't that amazing? No internet. No satellite TV. No Twitter. No Instagram. No PowerPoint slides. No fog machines and laser light shows for worship. No Chris Tomlin to help out or any other worship writer. They had none of that stuff, and they shook the world upside down in dusty sandals. How? Because they had a power that was greater than technology. God's not impressed by technology at all. He can silence all the technology in the world in one nanosecond anytime he chooses to. He did that with Babel. They thought they could build a place to the heavens. No, they had a power that turned the world upside down because Jesus promised they would receive it if they would obey. And they did. And guess what? We're called to do the same thing they did. We're called to do the exact same thing. Jesus is still sending us out with the same message, the same imperative, the same command, the same truth, the same burden, the same power, and the same promise to help us complete the commission. Amen? Vance Hanover said this. I mean, I'm sorry, Vance Havner said this. He said, the early church did something because they believed in something. We are trying to do what they did without believing what they believed. They did something because they believed something. We're trying to do what they did without believing what they believed. See, they believed this message all within them. They said, we will not be distracted by the pleasures of Rome. We'll not be distracted by uh, the, the fears of the Pharisees and everybody else coming against us. Now, we believe that what Jesus just told us can shake the entire planet, and it did. Many still want to see lives changed and souls saved. Even today, I'd say many people in the church, most people in the church want to see, you know, you ask any Christian, hey, would you like to see souls? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want to see life change? Yeah, absolutely. But many have stopped preaching the gospel that Jesus gave. They're not preaching, they're preaching a lighter gospel, a different gospel. They're not preaching the gospel that he gave. Or they expect someone else in the church to go and do that work. They don't expect that it's their job. They think it's somebody else's job. In the early church, they not only believed the gospel Jesus gave them, but they knew that they were personally sent. didn't matter if it was Mary or Martha or Joanna or Stephen or Peter or Paul. They all thought they were personally sent, and they all said we take the same exact gospel precisely the way Jesus gave it, not change it to gospel light, the real gospel. Christian, let me ask you. Do you have the passion, belief, and burden that the early church had? Well, that's a tough question, isn't it? 
Because God's watching for our answer. He's like, all right, let, yeah, yeah. Wait, what do you got to say? Do you have the passion, burden, and belief that the early church had? Are you sharing the true gospel and asking God's help to share it and have more opportunities to share it? Let's examine real quick the gospel that Jesus outlines. Look at the one in, in verse 44. Uh, he says, these are the things that I told you had to be fulfilled from the law and the prophets. Number one, the scriptures that Jesus said, the scriptures all said that Jesus must come and fulfill the Father's will. Part of the gospel is that the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Paul writes this in Romans 1, 1 through 3. The gospel of God, which he promised before his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says the same thing. The gospel which he promised before in the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning Jesus, his, uh, Jesus Christ, his son. So number one, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. Number two, in verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Old Testament writings, they all pointed, because he wasn't teaching the New Testament here. There was New Testament. There was no New Testament. What was he teaching? Genesis through Malachi. The Old Testament writings all pointed to the coming need of Messiah. This is what he's opened their eyes to. He goes, when you run into Judaizers and they say that there's no promise of Messiah, you can tell them definitively, yes, it's exactly what the Scriptures promised. This is Isaac on the altar. This is the Passover lamb. This is the serpent lifted up. This is Psalm 22. This is Isaiah 50, 52, and 53. All speak of Jesus, and of course, there's many other passages as well. The Old Testament writings, and unto you a child is born, a son is given, right? All pointed to Jesus. All the scriptures point to him. Number three, in verse 46... Thus it is written that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus had to be crucified and then conquer sin and death by rising from the dead on the third day. It had to be that specific. He had to fulfill all of it. He had to suffer, be crucified, rise from the dead on the third day. Which is exactly what he says there in verse 46. He's giving us the outline of the whole gospel from the Old Testament through the, through the resurrection. Why was that important? Well, there was no other way of being saved from the judgment to come. If, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, Hebrews tells us. Number four, in verse 47, that repentance and the remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations. So if you're taking notes, the fourth element here of the gospel, the gospel and the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus must be preached everywhere to everyone, and it will require a response of repentance. People cannot just say a sinner's prayer. They have to turn from sin. You mean I can just say, yeah, hold on, I can say a sinner's prayer and just go back and be at the honky-tonk next, next Saturday night again? No. You're saying goodbye to that. That's, that's southern country music Christianity. That's not Bible Christianity. You ever listen to country music? They, they talk about church and bourbon back and forth and like every other song. I'm like, is that communion there or what? I mean, uh, have you read a Bible? Because you're not allowed to you know, just kind of live any way you want. And then, you know, Jesus got me covered because, you know, I'm born in the South or whatever else it is. No. Repentance has to turn from sin. And anyone that's really saved wants to get out of sin. I don't ever want to go back to the way I used to live. Do you? The last place you want to be. C.S. Lewis uh, said this. He said, Jesus did not say, go into all the world and tell the world that it is quite right. You guys are doing great. They wouldn't have been stoned to death if they were saying that, right? The Greeks wouldn't have had a problem if they came and said, hey, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, well, uh, first say this quick prayer, and you can go back to it. Number five, they are, they were, and they are to be witnesses. That's verse 48, and you are witnesses. 
there has to be witnesses of the gospel of what Jesus did, of what he said, and what everyone needs. The gospel requires that there be witnesses. Now, the gospel is the gospel whether there are witnesses or not. But Jesus' desire and his command is that the church would be witnesses of the gospel. And finally, number six in verse 49, Behold, I will send you from my Father power from on high. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to take the mess of the gospel across the street and around the world. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. D.L. Moody said there is no better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. I can share the message with someone, but the Holy Spirit has to quicken it. Amen? That's why we have to have his help. And as we close the last thing, these last four verses, uh, last, uh, yeah, verses 50 through 53. And he led them up as far as Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Last thing as we close here. Jesus is still worthy to receive all that worship. that They, they were just worshiping him in the temple. Uh, they worshiped in verse 52, and they worshiped him. And worship produced great joy in their life. Do you see that? Thomas, in John chapter 20, when he realized Jesus had defeated death and he was glorified in his presence, he said, my Lord and my God. Here in verse 52, they worship him the same way. Do you worship Jesus? I mean, do you really worship him? At the end of the age in Revelation 5.12, I plan on being there. How about you? The end of the age in Revelation 12, in heaven, this is what is said. Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Guess what? In heaven, they'll still be talking about the resurrection. Did you hear that? Worthy is the what? Lamb that was slain. Can you believe that in heaven, God is still going to make a big deal about Jesus' death and resurrection for all eternity? And, you, and if we think it's ho-hum, no wonder we don't worship. Right? Because when we get to heaven, God's going to make a lot about it. He's still calling in the lamb, even in heaven. But why? Because he's worthy. Worthy to receive all the worship. As we close, I have four things real quick. Why, do we, why is Jesus still worthy of worship? Number one, he's worthy because he's God. Just like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Y'all said worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you worship. Jesus receives worship. Why? Because in the beginning was the word and the word was God. He's, wor- he's worthy because he's God. Number two, he's worthy because he saved us, right? I don't know anyone else on planet Earth that's done anything for me remotely what Jesus has done for me. I love my wife, but she's never saved me, not from sin. She saved me from saying dumb things at times. (laughs) Not all the time. Times I'm on my own. But she's never saved me from sin, and you haven't saved anyone from sin either. He's worthy of that. Number three, verse 50, and he led them out. He's worthy because he leads us. He's the good shepherd. He leads me. He leads you. He leads the church, which is his bride. And number four, he's blessed us. It says he blessed them in verse 51. Now it came to pass while he blessed them. I don't know if you feel like Jesus blessed you, but if you're saved, you've been blessed. You've been blessed with salvation. You've been blessed with his love. You've been blessed with his Holy Spirit. Guess what? You've been blessed with one another. These people that, you, that might annoy you at times, get on your nerves at times, and some of them are the spouse sitting next to you or whatever, but uh, you've been blessed to be, we're given a family. Families are a blessing even when they sometimes are a little much, right? But the more we grow spiritually, we'll always be a blessing. You ever notice when your partially unsaved family comes to Christ, how much greater everything's go after a while? That's what happens in the body of Christ. New converts come in, their warts start to fall off, 
And they're a blessing because God infuses all into the same pot. This diverse, eclectic mix of believers, and they're a gift one to another. Are we thankful for each of these blessings? Because gratitude and belief lead to worship. Are we thanking God for salvation and growing in it? Best way to grow in it, start being thankful for it, right? You want to grow in salvation? Start being thankful for it. Thankful for his love and spending time in prayer and the word saying, Lord, because I am thankful for the love, I want to experience that love and prayer and your word and in obedience. Thankful for his spirit. Now we're responding to the prompting of the spirit in our life. The spirit's saying, hey, I want you to go and do this. I don't want to, but I'm going to do it anyway. Thankful for the body, as I mentioned, the body of believers and the fellowship of the people of God that he's given us. I'm thankful for every single one of you. Some of you I don't know as well as others. I look forward to knowing everyone better over time. Unlike God, we're limited by time, aren't we? I, if I could, I'd hang out with believers nonstop because I really love the body of Christ. And the, and the more you spend time loving the body, the more you will. The more you time spend time with Jesus, the more you love him. I love Chris Canote. He's a, a pastor missionary. He said recently, he said, we don't get to say I love Jesus, but not his bride. We don't grow spiritually without community. In other words, the family relationships are important. They're a blessing. We have to invest in them. I encourage you, invest beyond, you know, a few minutes on Sunday. Get involved in ladies' ministry, men's ministry, youth, Friday night fellowships. These are all important. These are all part of your spending time with Jesus with this. And for all that Jesus is, and all he's done for us, all that he's sacrificed for us, all that he's given to us, all that he's promised to us, he is worthy, isn't he? More than we can list. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our total commitment. He's worthy of our gratitude. He's worthy of our absolute best. Not our tips of time, talent, and treasure, but our absolute best. He's worthy of the worship of our lips. He's worthy of the worship of a surrendered life. And he'll give us his power. He'll give us his peace when we start to worship him in spirit and truth. The Father is looking in John chapter 4 for true worshipers. What will we do as we close here? What will we do, brother and sister, what will we do with the parting words of Jesus? What if it was him standing in this pulpit and not me? By the way, he's standing in this room. Anyway. Amen? And someday we'll see him face to face. He's standing in this place. But what if you could see him standing here and I stepped down when I surely would step down? I'd never get back in the pulpit. He wanted to preach, right? But if he was standing here, what changes would we make? to apply his words in our life. He's here. He's coming back a second time. In Luke 18, 18, 7, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus said that. Will he really find faith on the earth? Will, will he find it in the church? Will he find it in us personally? He saved us. He's loved us with an everlasting love. He's given us his spirit. Let's love him back and heed his words in obedience and gratitude. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we know you are in this place. Jesus, we know that your nail-pierced hands, not only are you seated at the right hand of the Father, but Lord, you're seated in our hearts. And you're in this place. Your spirit, the spirit of Christ is in this place. Lord, we know that we've read your words and we read your words. Lord, we know they came directly from your lips. And Lord, we're all guilty to some degree of not applying, not heeding, sidestepping your words. And Lord, they're actually the only words that will give us peace, comfort, and rest. And we're trying to find rest in all the wrong places. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us anew. Lord, we want to have revival in our hearts. We want to be like the first love new believers that believe that this message is the most important thing on planet earth, and it is. Lord, you're worthy, and thank you, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for revealing to us 
and assuring us and sending us and, Lord, calling us to be your worshipers. Before we close, I just want to ask, you know, this is our final study in the book of Luke, and we'll move on to the book of um, Galatians. Before we close, if there's anyone here and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I'm going to just appeal to you to give your life to him.